You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Everybody and welcome to the Health Hub. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and along with my producer, Alex Diaz, we welcome you to the show today. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Good morning, Kathy. I'm well, thank you. And once again, good morning to our listeners. Yes, thank you again for joining us. Well, this past weekend, we went to Daylight Savings Time, and except for that glorious extra hour of sleep, it's kind of thrown me a touch. I hope it doesn't filter through on the show today. I actually never thought that I was affected by it, maybe just because I'm a year older than the last one I experienced. I have no idea. <laughs> Did it affect you at all, Alex? Well, it affected me a little bit on Monday morning when I walked in and realized I had to change all the clocks yeah. in the studios, but it kept me on my toes for sure. Obviously, we shifted backwards yeah and so in a sense when i first looked at the clock i thought i was an hour late or something the iphones and everything they they change automatically and on my computer and you know i took that for granted and we have still the traditional alarm clock in our bedroom i don't keep my phone near me at all right um and i woke with a start and i realized that we hadn't changed the clock so other than that i think we're all pretty much in line but um on we go, I guess, and look forward to shorter days, but uh, that's okay. We'll get through it. November generally is not my favorite month, but uh, it's okay. So a couple of weeks ago, um, I mentioned to you that someone had contacted me through email and asked if I could sprinkle tidbits of food tips and so forth, and I said I would do that at the top of the show, and then promptly forgot to do it for you last week. I guess it was Halloween and I was all excited. So I'm going to start getting back on track with that. Um, and I hope I don't forget again. But I, again, I will I will try and do that for you. So today, get your pen and your paper. I've got an interesting recipe for you. It's a low-carb tahini bread. And it was posted by a friend and colleague, Marsha Fenwick, from Marsha Fenwick Nutrition. It's simple, simple, easy to do, full of protein and fiber. And uh, great for you people who are, are staying on a low-carb or trying to reduce your carbs. So here we go. Get your pen in hand. I want you to preheat your oven to 180 degrees Celsius or 350, and then line a bread pan with parchment paper. I, I tend to use parchment paper with everything. I don't usually uh, put oil in anything, so I like the parchment paper, but you could line it with coconut oil. And then for your base in one medium-sized bowl, I would like you to put six tablespoons of tahini, four eggs, one tablespoon of good quality maple syrup, which is easy to find here in Canada, one teaspoon of baking soda, and I stayed pretty much uh, with Marsha's recipe except for this add-on here. I grated in some fresh turmeric. This year, I actually tried to grow my own, even though we have a colder climate here in the winter, um, and it did take, so it did grow, not not as beautifully as is in the warmer climates, but uh, it did take, and I have started harvesting it because I am afraid of the frost. So I did add some turmeric to this recipe. It was, the smell was outstanding. So I grated about an inch Half an inch, you know, it depends on how, how much you like this seasoning, but I grated an inch, an inch worth into mine. So I want you to mix that up really, really well. Get it all blended. In a separate uh, small bowl, I need you to do a seed mixture, and that is going to be three tablespoons of flaxseed, three tablespoons of sesame seed, one tablespoon of chia seed, a half a teaspoon of salt, and one half cup of sunflower seeds. So what this recipe then calls for, simple and easy, is you take three quarters of this seed mixture, mix it in with your base, 
put that into the lined pan and then top with the remaining seed. Bake that for about 30 minutes until it's golden brown. And this is really quite a delicious bread. You could pull the maple syrup out to go completely savory. The maple syrup just gives it a little bit of a depth of flavor. Um, so delicious recipe, really great. Low carb, like I said, tahini is, is um, a great product, a sesame seed product. This is full of fiber and full of protein. So there you go. Hopefully that helps. And this is a big recipe to make up for last week. And I do apologize once again. So today we are talking biohacking. And our host, or our host, our guest today is Todd White. And Todd is a self-described biohacker. He practices daily meditation, Wim Hof breathing, cold thermogenesis, a ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting, and he is a fitness enthusiast. Todd has been featured guest on many of the nations, and that's U.S., uh, nation's leading health influencers, including Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Radio, Mark Sisson's Primal Blueprint, Abel James's Fat-Burning Man, Rob Wolf's Paleo Solution, Drew Manning's Fit to Fat to Fit, and Jimmy Moore's Live in Low Carb Show. He is the founder of Dry Farm Wines, a writer, a speaker, a leading authority on health and organic natural wines, and we're very, very happy for him to join us today. And we will be speaking with Todd right after our break. There's no space that his love can't reach. There's no place where we can't find peace. There's no end to amazing grace. Listening to Radio Maria Canada. 
We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are live on today's show. You can call us at 416-245-1534 if you'd like to ask myself or Todd some questions. Also keep in touch with us on Instagram. We are at the Health Hub RMC, and we are on Facebook. If you prefer to tweet questions at us, tweet at me at Kathy underscore Biasse. And quickly before we start to talk to Todd, yes, that recipe will be posted. It will be posted actually on my blog, kathybiasse.com, if uh, I went too fast or if you didn't have a pen in hand. So there we are, business taken care of. Todd, welcome to the show. Kathy, good morning. How are you from the West Coast here in California? quite early. Uh, yeah. Uh, happy to join you. Thank you so much, Todd. I know, and especially after you telling me about your morning routine, I know this is very much uh, not in line with what you normally do, so we really do appreciate you joining us this morning. Excited to be here. Thank you. How are things in California? We, um, we were just back from California, but we missed the fires. Is everything settled down there now? Yeah, it's back pretty much back to normal. You know, things got a little bit burnt. I'm down uh, in Southern California today. I have a place in Santa Monica on the beach. And so I live in Napa Valley, but uh, I am, uh, you find me at the beach this morning. So it's a, it's a sunny California day. Typical day in California. I miss those days. It was lovely going there. So, Todd, biohacking is probably a very new word for my listeners, and I'm wondering if you can start off the show by explaining to us what biohacking is. Yeah, I like to, it's, it's pretty simple to define. So I look at it this way. Biohacking is how we program our behavior to influence our neurological and biological outcome. So that's, that's really, and, and typical examples of that would be meditation, in my view, is the greatest biohack of all time. You know, silence, when we practice silence, we're really able to access an inner world of consciousness that really invites an outer world of abundance, right? So meditation is a biohack. Um, nutritional programming such as a ketogenic diet or low-carb diet would be a biohack. And then you can get into more extreme biohacks, which would be like intravenous uh, vitamin treatments or, or uh, nootropics for brain health. And I don't tend to use supplemental uh, biohacks. Uh, my biohacks are other than food. I see food as medicine. Mm-hmm. So... <clears throat> And, you know, in, in the West, we typically treat disease as opposed to focusing on preventing it. And so I, I, I look at food as, as, as a tool of prevention. Uh, and I practice a ketogenic diet, as you mentioned earlier in your show. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of typically, but how we use our behavior, how we program our behavior to influence our neurology and, and our biology. That's sort of a classic definition of biohacking. So a lot of us are doing it without actually putting a label on it. That's, you know, when I started to delve into it, um, we, you know, anybody who's, who's concerned about their health and always on point is probably doing some form or other of biohacking. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now you have a really interesting, and when you were telling me about how, um, you know, you and your staff start the day and end the day. Uh, I was really impressed. And it's something that, you know, if you could share that with with us too, because it's something that we, you know, generally don't do. We never turn off. And I think um, your practice within your own company is is an awesome one. And if you could share with us your routine, you know, your, your 11 to 5 routine that you explained to me, I, you know, I think it'd be very beneficial for everyone to hear. So we operate a very unique and, pretty unusual work environment, one that really focuses and thinks a lot about how we center around each other and how we aggregate energy together and how we share love and abundance together. And that day starts with, that day starts with, with meditation as a group. Now, we don't meet until 10 o'clock. Everyone else has an individual morning ritual or routine, which typically includes fitness and an individual meditation practice and reading and just, I like everyone to start their morning in a peaceful place. So we don't meet until 10 a.m. 
And then from 10 to 11, we have a group practice that includes meditation, open gratefulness, expression, affirmations, visualizations. Oftentimes we're holding hands. We're in a dark room. It's candle lit. It's, it's a meditative environment. And this practice goes for uh, about an hour, sometimes a little bit longer. We also do group journaling together. That can be either private or open journaling. Um, we oftentimes uh, share book passages or we may be reading a book together as a group. But this collective energy, this we, we use words like love and the universe and connected source energy and but this, this practice, which we do daily um, for approximately an hour, sometimes a little bit longer, really, it really aggregates energy, a collective energy of abundance. We call this practice conscious abundance. And so it just engenders a, a real sense of place and energy. How many people so are you talking about in your staff? There's 15 of us. 15 of you, Okay. And then at the end of the uh, day? Have, uh, at the end of the well, we end our practice. We, we, we only work from 11 to 5, uh, Monday to Friday. We often, we almost never do any kind of business communication outside of those hours. So no after hours emails, no emails over the weekend. Uh, no, um, uh, we, we, believe that that time away is a time for peace and reflection. We spend a lot of time together after hours because we're in the wine business. We don't drink during the daytime because we don't think it's healthy. So we do wine tastings at night and we, we are, um, you know, we're tastemakers. So we cook a lot together. We have, we don't really think of ourselves as employees, employer, or, even teammates, we really view kind of our relationship as a family together, as a work family. So we spend, and we, because of the business we're in, we travel a lot together because we're the official healthy wine for virtually every health conference in the United States. And so we oftentimes travel together and, and uh, to these conferences. So we have a very unusually close relationship. We've also never had we have a very strenuous in interview and hiring practice. We've actually never had anyone leave the company voluntarily or involuntarily. So no one we've ever hired has ever left, um, either on their own or, or, or willfully by us. And is this so, something that you started from day one? Uh, we did. We did. And the company's about two and a half, almost almost three years old uh, company has grown very rapidly and we attribute these practices to our unusually and rapid rapid growth our business has grown 324x in revenue in three years that not percent that's 324 times in revenue so it's been an extraordinary ascent of financial success, but we attribute this entirely to our group practices together. Mm -hmm. It's it's obviously a very unique approach. And, you know, if you go into the studies about meditation and about turning off and having that time to tune down, you know, the studies are, are, are just abundant with productivity increasing and happiness. And, you know, it is something that in general, I think we, we don't, we don't think about too much. And I think it is very important. And I agree with you that as far as biohacking go, meditation has got to be right up there. Um, number one, and it, you know, maybe Todd, because you're such an expert on this area, meditation doesn't have to be something that you go and take a course in, does it? No, no, meditation, and we, we practice, a, there are many forms of meditation. You know, I love the proverb that the fisherman spends his whole life fishing without really understanding why he fishes. <laughs> See, so fishing is a form of meditation. Bike riding, running is a form of meditation. So there are many ways to, to, to find silence in the mind. And so runners probably spend a lifetime of running without really knowing why they run. Mm -hmm. And so it's, 
you know, this is, this is meditation comes, we use a concentrated form of meditation using anchors such as breath or, or a meditation music or sounds to anchor us away from, from thinking. And so, you know, there, there's two types of thought. So there's, there's critical thinking where we solve problems and, and we create benefit and we create value. And then there's this incessant sort of useless thinking that is just, you know, this mind chatter, this kind of, it's, you know, it's speculated by neuroscientists that we have about 70,000 thoughts a day. The problem is 95% of them are the same things we thought about yesterday. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we what meditation does is it brings us to a place of silence. I also love to think of it this way, that that in meditation, the music is between the notes. Right. And so that's where we find that peace and silence that really it's like it's like a warm bath for the mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that that kind of that kind of that kind of elegant silence really allows us to to tap into our greatest power which is the subconscious the subconscious place so I, you know you can practice meditation in many ways concentrated you know an intentional act in meditation and it is a practice you know most people don't meditate most people say they can't meditate uh, because they can't stop thinking. They say, you know, I can't stop thinking. Well, that's the reason we call it a practice. You know, I, I remember when I first started meditating, I, I, I achieved immediate benefit from it. I was in a very dark place at the time. I've been med- a daily meditation practice for about three and a half years. And so I, like most people, sought this kind of self-improvement and sought this kind of uh, quiet space from desperation, not inspiration. I had experienced a business failure that was quite dramatic at the time for me, and I had taken it a bit too personally. And so I was in a, a dark and very um, unhappy place, and I was willing to try anything in order to uh, heal. And meditation was... I had I had experimented with meditation before, but never successfully. I, like everyone else, I just didn't think I didn't feel like I could quote stop thinking. But at this point, I was really in a uh, in a very in you know in, in a very dark place. So I was willing to try anything because I was coming from a dark place. I achieved immediate benefit from it day one. Uh, it may not be that quite lifting depending upon probably the the place you are when you begin begin your practice. But over time, over the next several months, you notice a a measurable increase in success with meditation as well as, uh, as well as its healing properties. And then consequently, you know, it redefines your life because (laughs) that silence redefines who you are. Now, is this where biohacking sort of started for you, and then you went on to the ketogenic diet and thermogenesis? Is this the, the born part of your life as far as biohacking? No, I, mm-hmm. I, had, been, I had been low carb. I had been experimenting with, with low carb and non-processed food and diet and exercise for 15 or 20 years, and for the last 10 years had been very uh, dedicated to... Uh, fitness and low carb. The ketogenic diet, I started just about the same time I started meditation. I started experimenting with it and I've been uh, fully ketogenic for about three years, three and a half years. Okay. And I also do intermittent fasting. Yes. uh, 24 hour intermittent fasting. So I only eat once a day. Okay. uh, Typically between six and seven o'clock at night. Um, And so I found I found intermittent fasting to be, to be probably one, aside from meditation, I would say intermittent fasting was one of the most powerful biohacks that I have experimented with. I will never return to eating more than once a day. 
That's interesting, Todd. And your company, we'll get to this uh, after the break. We're going to introduce you to Todd's company after our break and show how biohack wine fits into a biohacking lifestyle. So we will return after a couple of minutes, everybody. Thanks, Todd. We'll be back, back soon here. Listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. 
a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody, after that break. Again, you can connect with us uh, at the Health Hub RMC on Instagram. You can tweet at me at Kathy underscore Biasse, and you can find us on Facebook. We are here today with our guest, Todd White of Dry Farm Wines. Todd, let's talk about your company and how your company and the wines that you bring in fit in with biohacking. Um, maybe you can just give us a, an overview of what your company actually does. So we are the only health quantified wine merchant in the world. And when I say that, what I mean is that we sell a pure, all-natural, healthy wine. And we also do independent lab testing on each wine. So we don't actually make wines. We acquire wines from small family farms, primarily in Europe, although we have a couple of producers in South Africa and a couple of producers in Chile. These small family farms are always all organic or biodynamic, and biodynamic is a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. <clears throat> These wines are additive-free and all naturally made. In addition to naturally farmed and chemical-free farming, they're also chemical-free uh, processing in, in the way that they're made. In the United States, there are 76 additives approved by the federal government here for the use in winemaking. Now, wine consumers don't know that because the wine industry in the United States has been very successful in spending tens of millions of dollars in lobbying money to <clears throat> persuade politicians to keep the contents label off of a bottle of wine. So in the United States, wine is the only major food product without a contents label on it. And there's a reason for that. The wine industry does not want consumers to know what's really in their wine. Because if they if it had a contents label, most wine would have a contents list that looks like most other processed food. It would have a whole bunch of chemicals and a whole bunch of names of additives that you have no idea what they are, color agents and stabilizers and all, all kinds of um, preservatives and uh, ammonia phosphate is used in making wine, heavy metals like copper, um, a, a treatment called Velcarin, which is, Velcarin is actually a highly toxic uh, compound that's used to treat a very common bacteria that forms in wine that is thought to be a fault in wine. It's super common, but Velcarin has to be applied by a specially licensed federal contractor who, when they apply it in wine, the actual people putting it in are wearing hazmat suits. <laughs> it's so toxic. And so here's what's happened. What's happened in the wine business is the same thing that has happened in our food supply, right? There's only a half dozen companies that, that, that manufacture most of all of the food products in the United States. So the same thing has happened pretty much in the wine business where the, of, of all the wine manufactured in the United States, 52% of it is made by just three giant conglomerates. Mm -hmm. Now, consumers don't know this because these, these multi-billion dollar businesses and very smart marketers, they hide behind thousands of brands and labels. And so... And they want to have you believe that you're drinking from a romantic chateau or a farmhouse, when in fact you're drinking from a massive factory where these additives and chemicals are used rampantly. Well, and nobody time. knows about this. So that's, that's, that's what makes our wine different. They're, they're not made in this commercial way. They're not made in an industrial setting. Are, are the reactions to wine then, are they alcohol hangovers or are they reactions to the chemicals that are in the wines? It's a combination of both. And I'm glad that you mentioned alcohol because we don't sell or drink any wine over 12.5% alcohol. Most commercial wines are 145 to 17.5% alcohol in the United States, and I'm sure the same thing in Canada. And so <clears throat> most of the wine that wine I was drinking last night was 11%. 
So we believe that alcohol is toxic, so we believe that you should drink a lower alcohol product. But to answer your question completely, it is it really stems from three things. It's higher alcohol. So alcohol will dehydrate you. It is toxic. Your body has to process it. And so it's uh, so it's so it's higher alcohol. It's also these additives. And then it's the winemaking styles, and this is particularly troubling for women. It's a winemaking style, and that winemaking style is typically involves what we think of as extended and heavy maceration in red wines. So for women particularly, they'll typically feel much worse from red wine than a white wine, and that's because red wines are very are, are, are higher and contain uh, biogenetic amines like tyramine and histamine. So it's these histamines and tyramine, which is primarily what causes most women to feel bad from red wine, and that histamine and tyramine and tannins get into the wine because red wines, in order to get their color, have contact with the skin. Mm-hmm. And these biogenetic amines come from skin contact. When I said winemaking styles, here's what I mean. In Because red wine gets its color from contact with the skins. It also gets tannins from contact with the skins. And it gets body from contact from the skins. And so what what's happened in the winemaking styles to make wines darker, they're leaving these macerations, the, the skin and juice contact, on for much longer periods of time. So you get this super dark uh, kind of big-bodied wine that's Americans like everything bigger, bolder, richer. And so these winemaking styles of, of these longer macerations, there's some very negative impacts from that too, higher tannins and particularly these higher, um, these higher amines like histamine and tyramine and that comes from this extended contact with the skins. Natural wines are not made that way. Natural wines have a very short skin contact, and therefore they're very, very low in these amines, and that's the reason that people feel much better from drinking them. Interesting. Now, let's take a step back here and talk about dry farming. When I was in California, that's one of the things I learned about. And um, maybe you could talk about that and how dry farming really stresses out to the vines and the grapes and why that's beneficial. Well, it's part of it is just common sense, and and part of it is science, and part of it is nature. So when you irrigate a grapevine, in fact, it's illegal to irrigate grapes in most of the world and and nearly all of Europe. It's against the law. It's actually a crime. Mm. So to to irrigate a grapevine, because Europeans who've been making wine for more than three thousand years know what I know. The moment you irrigate a grapevine, you fundamentally change the way the, the vine relates to nature and to its neighbors. And the, the vine's very lazy and produces a much lower quality and character of fruit. And wine, like any other kind of fruit juice, is going to be, or, or most any kind of food, is going to be most substantially impacted in terms of its taste and quality about 90% of that's going to come from the grape that you start out with. Mm-hmm. So the higher quality and character of the fruit, the higher quality and character of the wine is going to be. I don't care what you do to it after you pick it. If you don't have a high-quality juice product to start with, you're not going to have a high-quality wine. So here's the common sense. Common sense will tell you. <clears throat> An irrigated grapevine has a root ball that's about three or four feet in diameter. Right, because it gets all of its water and nutrients from the surface. It's got a little tube, right? A little, a little pipe just above the trunk, mm-hmm. and it drips water. And this is also where it gets its nutrient because these irrigated vines are fed nitrogen, right? So they're fertilized by man, not by nature. And the root ball is three or four feet in diameter. Now, a wild, unirrigated grapevine can have a root structure that can be 50 or 60 feet deep as that vine struggles against its neighbor and struggles against nature in search for water and nutrient. 
that struggle creates a much more dense, higher character of fruit. And common sense will tell you that, mm-hmm. that when, when you have that struggle, it's just like the rest of, you know, when we go do weightlifting, we're doing resistance training, right? So that resistance creates strength and, and you know, resistance creates growth. Well, same thing in nature, right? So that resistance against the earth and, and also in competition with its neighbor, which is the reason grapevines are planted, have various planting regiments and people plant them closer together so that they struggle against one another, right? So this is the reason that you have, this is the reason you have a much, much higher quality fruit from an unirrigated vine. And importantly, and sort of wrap that up, we could go down a wormhole about irrigation, but also importantly, when you, and I'll tell you why you irrigate in a moment, but when you fill uh, a grape berry with water through irrigation, this is why you irrigate, because the fruit weighs more when it's filled with water. And guess what? Irrigation is about greed. See, fruit is sold by the ton, and the more water in it, the more it weighs. Here's the problem. The physiology of the ripening of the fruit at the very end of its cycle is substantially impacted by this excess water. And so what happens is that the winemaker has to let the fruit get riper and higher in sugar before it properly develops the phenolic flavors it's going to need in order to become wine. And so irrigated grapevines consequently are picked at a much higher sugar and that results in a higher alcohol and also higher byproducts, higher sugar byproducts like glycerol. Um, it just results in a, in a fundamentally different type of wine than a wine that's picked at a lower sugar. So hopefully that provides some insight into irrigation. Now, when the vine has to struggle so much, does it make the fruit healthier? Uh, you know... I, I don't. I don't think it makes it any healthier for your body. But what does make red wines healthier is that remember we talked about skin contact. Well, from the skin contact, um, in addition to the in addition to color and um, and and body and tannins, you also get uh, about 800 polyphenols that are in red wine that you do not find most of those in white wine, which is the reason that red wines are commonly thought to be healthier. The most, the most well-known and famous of the polyphenols is called resveratrol, mm-hmm. which in lab animals has been shown to extend longevity, although that's never been proven in humans. Uh, but that's probably the best-known polyphenol that some of your audience may have heard of. Mm-hmm. Now, what qualifications do wines have to have in order to be represented by your company? Well, as I mentioned earlier, they must be um, they must be chemically free farms, so organic or biodynamic. Yeah. Number one. Number two, they must be completely hand harvested and hand farmed. <clears throat> Number three. In the cellar, they must be fermented. This is very important and also only found in this very small category of wines called natural wines, which is what we, what we drink and sell. In the cellar, they must be fermented with wild native yeast that are indigenous to the vineyard where the grape is grown. And let me explain what that means very quickly. On the skin of every grape, is yeast. It's collected in the air. And if you just picked a a bunch of ripe grapes and threw it in a bucket, the skins would break. Sugar from the grape juice would come in contact with the yeast that are already on the outside of the grape skin, and it would begin to ferment without man doing anything. You would start making alcohol, because this is how you make wine. You press the juice from the skin, and you inoculate it, Either it inoculates itself with the wild yeast that's already on the skin, or you inoculate it, and this is how commercial wines are made, with a commercial genetically modified yeast. 
And so we do not allow the use, use of any of these commercial yeast in fermentation. And so the reason these commercial genetically modified yeast are being used in commercial wines is because they're very stable and they're very easy for the winemaker to work with. A natural wine, which is fermented with this wild indigenous yeast, is very difficult to work with, and you can't make it in great volumes because the because the yeast is the yeast is somewhat unstable and requires a lot of coddling and attention from the winemaker. So, in commercial wines, they want to get rid of this liability, and they also want to be able to make wines in greater volume. So, what they do is they use sulfur dioxide as soon as the as soon as the fermentation process starts. They first kill the native yeast before they inoculate it with this commercial yeast. So, as I mentioned, all of our wines must be fermented with this wild native yeast. We believe this is a huge part of the health impact. Mm -hmm. There's no science around it. We don't, we don't know what these genetically modified yeasts mean. We just know that when you drink these natural wines, you feel better, no brain fog, no hangover. Um, I like to drink one to two bottles a night for my good health. And uh, it's just, you know, it's an amazing experience. So native yeast... No, no additives of any kind, uh, and also if they are fermented, if they're aged in wood, it's neutral oak, so it sees no new oak uh, compounds. Also important to how you feel. Methanol comes from methanol is a kind of a nasty chemical byproduct of, of new oak fermentation. So we don't allow the use of any new oak. It's all neutral. Neutral oak means that that uh, typically the barrel has seen eight or ten vintages and no longer imparts any flavoring or any of these negative wood compounds like methanol is it's probably the most dangerous. So anyway, so no new oak um, and, uh, and no additives and then, uh, and then bottled up and, you know, it's a super clean natural product. There's about 300,000 winemakers in the world, um, there are fewer than 500 natural winemakers who make wines to our specifications. Very interesting. So, you know, I thought that the oak, um, that the oak was purposely used to impart flavor on the wine. Oh, it is. It is. It, it, it is. It, that is a winemaking style. Okay. Yes, it is. It is intentionally used. True. And worse than that, in commercial wines, you're 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 not even getting oak. You're they're using dust and powders and sawdust and chips to mm -hmm. impart these same flavors. Yes, it is a desired flavor component. We just know and believe it's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. I keep thinking back to my father-in-law making his own wine. I've mentioned it a couple of times on the show, and it is just a simple process. And, you know, he, it fits into what you're saying. He just crushes the grapes and lets them ferment. But what I want to do as we're, as we're approaching uh, the end of our show, unfortunately, because it's such an interesting topic for me, we didn't even get into the microbiome, which is, which is my headspace. But how does this, let's bring it all back then to the biohacking, Todd. How does this fit in? How does wine, how is your wine able to fit in with your biohack life, with the ketogenic diet? Because it is supported by many people who are on low-carbon ketogenic diets. And intuitively, for most of us, we would think that this would knock you right out of ketogenesis. So can you bring it full circle for us? Yeah, let's do, let's, let's, uh, th th that's very simple. Our wines are sugar-free. Uh, most wines are not. We lab test every wine, so we know they're sugar-free. All of my staff is in a ketogenic diet. We're all in blood-tested ketosis. So, and we're endorsed by many ketogenic leaders, including the most famous scientists in the United States. Dominic Diagostino endorses us. I mean, we've had lots of independent diabetic groups and bloggers and scientists do independent blood testing on our for both blood glucose for diabetics as well as ketones for, for folks who are on a ketogenic diet. So our wines have no impact on blood glucose or, or ketones. That, that being said, um, I think more importantly, I, I wanted to close up just thinking about how, you know, the greatest biohack of all time, I said is meditation, but it's actually probably love. Mm love and the expression of love and 
sharing of love is probably, is no doubt, the greatest biohack and the greatest connection that we can make together. And here's how wine plays an important role in that. We, as I mentioned earlier, we don't drink during the dinner. We don't drink during the daytime. But when we sit down and have dinner together, we, you know, we start that with a bottle of wine, and and that that just kind of lowers that lowers that vulnerability window just a bit, and makes us a little bit more accessible. When we become more accessible, we're we're just more loving, and to share love and to be around the dinner table and to have thoughtful conversation and be emotionally available to one another and just that expression of love. That's how wine really plays the most important role, I think, in in biohacking and in a healthier life. That is a lovely way to end off the show, and I think we'll stop right there. As much as I want to talk about so many other things, uh, I thank you so much, Todd, for sharing with us. That's, that's a very beautiful way to end off the show, fitting right nicely into my, my train of thought as well. We, unfortunately, cannot get Todd's wine right now. Are you coming to Canada at any point? We are working on Canada right now. I expect that we'll, we'll be available in Canada soon. It's, just going, it's going to be just a cost issue to yeah. the consumer, yep. and so it's it, it'd just be a pass through to us. But to learn more about our company, go to dryfarmwines.com. And uh, we're Dry Farm Wines on all social media. You can follow us on Facebook and you can learn when we're coming to Canada or you can email us at uh, dryfarmwines.com and we or sign up for our mail list and we'll let you know when we're coming to Canada. Awesome. I can't wait. I really can't wait. Thank you so much, Todd. Thank you for joining us, everybody, this week. And we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.